Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. Welcome to another episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, in which Catherine and Gail get real. Today, Women's History Month is on our minds. How is it that women are limited to one month a year? We even had to fight to be recognized for one day a year and then finally one week a year. Is this progress? No, Catherine, it's not progress. It's not. When our Constitution was formed, equal rights were part of the very frame. And yet, every person who was not a white male has had to fight for protection every year since. What the Constitution Meant to Me is a play from 2017 by Heidi Schreck. It takes place in Washington. Schreck stars in the leading role, bringing her personal voice to the issues. It covers abortion, women's rights, women's rights, domestic abuse, the history of the United States. It was a finalist for the 2019 Pulitzer Prize play for drama. Heidi Schreck covers all of these issues with such verve and, and she's, she just makes it so exciting. And the play has now Re, reappeared on the stage on net, on uh, movies. You can find it in the movies on Netflix. And, and so it's become something that people are really talking about, especially now during Women's History Month. Well, uh, thank you for that, because I, ha- I hate to admit that I am not familiar with the play. Yeah, you should work. So I will become might familiar by the end of the day. <laughs> so thank you. Um, you know, those uh, that's really powerful. And the, those issues that you noted, that um, those are the issues that have been with us, with women for since the beginning of time, apparently. But um, I, um, I think you and I both took some time to review episodes of our weekly podcasts. Mm-hmm. And we have a category called social activism. So I spent a lot of time listening to um, episodes from these women. We have a dozen and two dozen uh, women in easily, yes, easily in that category. And these are the women. I think of them as um, stepping into history in the late 1960s, early 70s, mm-hmm. and they've you know they've been making change ever since. They they do not stop. They don't take a breath, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking that they're in so many different arenas, but what they seem to have in common is they all they all really got started in this uh, with the <clears throat> second wave of the women's movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the early issues, uh, the focus were had to do with uh, domestic violence, rape, uh, reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. And um, we have you know Heather Booth, who started guy who lived in Washington or lived in Chicago for many, many years. And then now for the last 30, maybe has been in Washington, DC, but Heather Booth is a person who's been involved in every major social issue that you can imagine in a very 
deep, meaningful way, a strong leader. She was um, founded the Jane, which was the underground mm-hmm. network to help women get abortions when abortions right. were mm-hmm. still illegal. Um, she was joined by Patty Novick and Susan Oppenheimer, other guests. So um, that's just an example of making major, major change in a you know positive way. But I'm curious, Gail, when when did you get when did you become? Uh, would you say that you became involved in you know being active and activist? <laughs> it's a good question, Catherine. <laughs> I'm going to ask you the same thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I so I grew up in a very liberal family, and causes were always uh, you know they were always right there in front of my nose. Uh, many causes had to do with with um, poverty, with with um, rent control, with mm-hmm. with the issues right around the. You know, I was born right around uh, two days before Pearl Harbor, and so I was. My, you know, my parents were really into those kinds of issues. Uh, they were lucky to find an apartment in my uncle's building. He owned a building and he, so he found an apartment, they found an apartment there and that's where they stayed. And so uh, issues of all kinds um, were, were always in front of my nose. I got married very young and had children very young. And so the most that I was able to really uh, accomplish during those years was to write postcards was to take an occasional, uh, you know, participate in an occasional demonstration mm-hmm. or walk. And it really wasn't until the 80s that I became so much more aware of what was happening out in the world. Mm-hmm. I myself experienced a form of domestic violence in my mm-hmm. first husband. And so I was busy. Yeah. Taking care of those kids and and managing myself, yeah. I so would've... that yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. I would have. I couldn't it. put that together that you were born just two days before Pearl Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have respect for me. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, what about you, Catherine? Well, my my upbringing was very different. You know, I grew up uh, in a farm family and. Uh, West, West Central Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I think the only causes I was aware of, or the only cause was the right, farmers' rights, not not cause focused at all, really. So for me, it was when I went to the University of Minnesota as an undergraduate, and I was able, to, I started working in a place called the Help Center, Higher Education for Low Income People, mm-hmm. which was a clearinghouse, or the, the center for. People getting out of prison, women with uh, older women with children, single parents, uh, all of the students of color. Uh, where it was a place where everybody could could come to get kind of one stop shopping, mm-hmm. academic tutoring, financial counseling, personal counseling, mm-hmm. all of those services that were scattered all around the university and very difficult to find. So that's that was my 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 real introduction to um, civil rights for sure, and um, 
I, I just I mentioned to you a little bit ago that the Black Panthers, Minneapolis Black Panthers, used to meet in my living room, my <laughs> apartment. What did I know about? I didn't. I didn't know much, right? But I wanted to be supportive, and these were people I met through the help center. Mm-hmm. Um, I participated then in demonstrations, civil rights, to anti-war demonstrations, uh, guerrilla theater for women's rights. Um, and yet I felt that I, I knew even then that I was, it was superficial. I didn't really get, get it mm-hmm. um, until I just had more exposure. And uh, when I graduated and I started teaching, Oh, this was in the 80s, early 80s, when I came to DePaul and I started teaching women's issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, to do, I had to study, I had to learn more, you know, study about the histories and the issues. And, mm-hmm. and then I, and the women that were in my course, courses were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s. Many had stories similar to yours in that they didn't go to, they, you went to college, but they didn't go to college sort of on time mm-hmm. or they started and, and had to stop and they were busy raising their children and um, just working. And so some of the women's, mo- the women's movement sort of passed them by, although they were very much engaged in all of the mm-hmm. issues that, that you mentioned. So. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the uh, the thing that I think about now is how women, too many women didn't, myself included, we did not realize that we needed to fight for ourselves and these issues that were all around us. Right. And when we awoke, at least when I awoke. I was stunned by what all that I had missed in the 60s and 70s. And that women are, I mean, today, thank goodness we have Women's History Month. Thank goodness we have guests like we have. I mean, our guests are so inspiring. They are, they, they make you think. Every one of them makes you think. And, and reconsider how you are active in the role that you can play. Right. To help right. So I think of, um, you know, Patty Novick, who as a young, as a teenager worked with Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And marched with him and was mentored by him and, and how she has continued her, her service over all these years. Um, she's done a lot to, when she was in, you know, when she was one of the early the founders of a, a women's kind of movement here in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. and was very attentive to wanting to bridge gaps between uh, between class and race. Uh, and she, I think she, in her episode, she talks about feeling that they really did accomplish a lot in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she's and she continues, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Now she's she's active in that and continues to be very thoughtful about what's been gained, what's been lost, kind of where, you know, where, where do those, all those issues stand. And she's, um, 
she's in good company with so many of our right our guests. For sure. Doesn't she have a uh, Seeds of Faith and Justice? Is that hers? That's her quote. That's her quote, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, she apparently was, she t- talks about having, being out in the garden and being so frustrated and, and just not knowing how to make things happen in a, as quickly as she wanted. And Martin Luther King Jr. came out to the garden and said, Something about the seed, plant the seeds, they will bloom again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things will bloom again. Right. Faith and justice. Yeah. Yeah. So there, the, um, you know, housing was a tremendous issue in the uh, 40s and 50s. Huge issue. And fair housing has continued to be an issue right along. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, there was an attorney, his name was Gertz. I think it was Elmer Gertz. And he was the father of a friend of mine as I was growing up. And he was one of the first male men, one of the first males that I knew who, who actively, uh, worked for the underdog, who worked for, uh, housing rights and uh, other issues for people who, who had no voice for themselves. And isn't that what we do for, for the, our listeners, is we bring voices, the voices of our women, so that they can be inspired and, and think about things from a different point of view. Well, yeah, we, we do. I, I think of it as our, our kind of our fir- current form of activism, Providing platforms, forums for um, women who have all this wisdom and experience, mm-hmm. insight. Um, I think you use the term. Uh, continue to be vigilant mm-hmm. about these issues to bring these to bring these to light because we all, though, even though we might have been might be involved in these issues, we still have a lot to learn from one another, and our younger younger generations who. Uh, don't have many don't have that history sense of history and uh, can take many things for granted right that have and so there's they really are standing on the shoulders of of our um, our wise women our brave women mm-hmm. you know I think about um, Sonny Fisher you mentioned housing so mm-hmm. Sunny in her episode talks about having grown up in the public housing in the New York. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 housing, fair housing continues to be one of the major things she works on. She's a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. She's uh, been director of major foundations and um, can now continues to serve on boards. And she's she's um she, now she's championing housing again for low-income people, mm-hmm. including um, homes that are in areas that that um, what are they called? That they're they're older homes. They want they need to be preserved because there's so much history with them. But oh. there's this drive-by drive-by. Yeah, the thank you. That was a tough right. one. Right. <laughs> she talks about drive-by raising of these homes. They just bulldoze them down. 
right. because they're they're in poor neighborhoods. And so um, she's doing a lot to preserve the, the the homes and the history and the culture around that. You know, a good a good portion of my husband's life was spent in affordable housing, and he was a developer, hmm. and he was a mortgage banker, and his he, he spent uh, many many years working for Community Investment Corporation, which was an organization that invested in affordable housing. Hmm. So uh, the the stories that he would tell about you know, people um, going to the courts, trying to eliminate affordable housing, trying uh-huh. trying to take advantage of the rents that they could charge, were all very real at that time. And uh-huh. uh, and so that was in the '90s and early to 2000s. Yeah. And so, so yeah, yeah, very affordable kind. housing is yeah, it's a very very big issue. Yes, and uh, Sunny Fisher absolutely. She she inspires us for her the way that she thinks about this. Yes, yeah. you know I learned more about housing through her than I had ever known. And another area I learned more about was transportation. Yes, the importance of transportation from Jackie Grimshaw. Right, and I the way she talked about transportation as being. So essential. I only I only think about it in terms of I get in my car or I go get on the L when I used to go downtown to work, mm-hmm. get on an airplane. She said, transportation for for in neighborhoods that don't have good transport access to transportation, then it affects their employment, where their housing, mm-hmm. their education, their access to good health services, to good food. It it just it. I, I had no, I had never thought about it in that way. About poor transport, essential yeah. it is. Poor transportation absolutely promotes poverty. Yeah, yeah. and and yeah. yeah, especially in our city where the lines are drawn. <laughs> All right, transportation is so crucial. Yeah, yeah. So I never thought of that as a as a as an activism issue before. I think until we listened to her. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jackie Grimshaw, right? So mm-hmm. I think another area that um, certainly was exposed to when I was in college and those early years of being involved in demonstrations and all mm-hmm. was about uh, that art is political. Art can be political. Mm-hmm. But then we we met Gerda Bernstein, right. Gerda Be- Meyer Bernstein. So. Right. Do you happen to have her catalog? I do. Here it is. And so, um, I was looking for a picture that I, one of her artworks that I would show up. I think this might. This is an installation about global issues. What's it called? Global chaos. And those small uh, artifacts that you see all the way around the installation and in the center, those are toilets. That's what I thought. Open toilets, yes, and and so global chaos. She is, she is wonderful, isn't she? She just does all of these walk-in installations that you walk through, and all on on uh, bearing witness 
to issues that have occurred throughout the world that she are says, notorious, yeah, notorious for their indignation. Man's inhumanity to man. Exactly. Which includes, she has installations dealing with domestic violence and the Holocaust and what you just showed us. And she's 98 years old and she's still creating her art. Yes. She's amazing. She's just <laughs> amazing. And, and, you know, another issue we talk about as women age, do they lose their interest in what it was that they were active about all those years? She's in a wheelchair. She's obviously up there in years and she yeah. is still creating installations in her head. Right. And telling someone else how to install them instead of installing them herself. Right. Right. I think that's the beautiful part of, of listening to these voices is that we understand that as women age, they don't lose anything. They may, they may lose some physicality that they had, but they don't lose the ability to continue to be who they are. Right. Some of some people do, of course. Right. But, but yeah. That yeah. just reminded me of Susan, um, Susan Moniker Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. who in her 70s uh, took up tap dancing, yes, as have some of our that. other guests in their later years yes. taking up tap dancing. Right. At her 80th, yeah, her 80th birthday party, which I was happy to attend, she gave us a tap, a tap dancing demonstration. Ah. Um, <laughs> and so I think she's a little less active, but she now supports young people, uh, especially young people from poor neighborhoods, mm -hmm. to bring them into the world of, of tap dancing. And she's uh, she is a philanthropist in that way. She also uh, supports the jazz. She and her husband, Ted, are great supporters of jazz. Mm -hmm. And so taking those areas that she, especially tap, that she once was very active and now bringing that to the younger generation is very cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Bobby Wilson is another who supports jazz. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, what about Bobby? People, people might not know her. She her. is one of our guests and she is, she's a beautiful singer. And she promotes jazz for younger people. And she brings concerts all over so that people who cannot get out are able to listen. And uh, she's a beautiful woman. Is she doing this on Zoom now? Is she doing it virtually? They are doing some on Zoom. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And she promotes other vocalists and other artists mm -hmm. so that they all can yeah. have a great. voice. Have a voice. It's all about having a voice. Have a voice. Have a political voice. Um, you know, Rebecca Sive is, is one of our guests who, who has written books, studies, teaches, writes, uh, advises folks in Washington about voting rights and uh, mm -hmm. getting, getting people out to vote. I can only imagine what she's doing right this moment with all of this discussion about trying to, uh, the other party, trying to curtail uh, access to voting. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and she's also a great champion of younger women getting into holding political office. Oh, yes. And what about Heather Booth? Isn't she in that arena? Heather's, yes, absolutely. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, when I was uh, trying to contact Heather about something pre-election, pre-presidential election, and her, I got a, her email bounced back with the message, I am involved 24 hours a day in the political scene, so I will not be getting back to you until after the election. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Priorities. What's most important? You know, uh, Heather uh, talks in her episode about the importance of demonstrating and all the things that women have done over the decades right. and voting and holding office and getting on boards. Yes. On policymaking boards. Mm -hmm. um, she, of course, is on many boards. And um, Sonny Fisher talks about this also. She's uh, president of the, the board of the Housing Preservation mm -hmm. Board and Hetty Ratner. I'd like you to talk about Hetty Ratner because you actually know her and her work. She's an amazing woman who founded the Women's Business Development Center and so has supported women entrepreneurs for her entire career. 40 yeah, years? At least. And she has this, this, the Women's Business Development Center. She has not just that one, but they, she and her partner, Carol, they created, uh, I think four different, um, uh, areas in, in Illinois and Wisconsin, possibly Indiana, that where they are, there are women business development centers. And so right. she helps women get, get, um, get their share of the quota for supplier diversity funds. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Women were getting a half a percent. Yeah. And today I think it's, it's still nothing. It's still two, two to four percent is what it is based uh, compared to what men get. Uh -huh. And proving still. and still improving that you are a women, woman business owner requires certification. It requires funds that you have to put out in order to be certified. And, and, uh, Hetty has, has promoted this for all these years. Men do not have to certify that they are a male owned business. <laughs> Women sorry. have to certify that they are a woman owned business because there is still this, this point of view that, oh, the woman's name is on the license, but a man must be behind must, it. Right, must be really running the show. Yeah. And, and oh just, you know, women own more than 50% of the small businesses in the United States today. And they still have to prove that they are the owners. I did not know that. Yeah, certification is a big issue. Women Business Enterprise. And and uh, Betty, not Betty, Hetty, is is so active still in that arena, though she mm -hmm. has turned over the reins of the organization yeah. now. She describes herself as semi-retired. She, yes, she's barely retired. <laughs> she's <a sense>. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking also about um, Audrey Peoples and Ronnie Hartfield, who oh, are actually yes. sisters. 
And they both serve on boards, major boards. Rani is, um, she's, she's also one who has brought art, art and religion into the public, mm-hmm. access, uh, improving access. Um, and she serves on the, um, for the Art Institute, a major board for the Art Institute. And mm-hmm. Audrey serves on other boards. And she, I love her episode because she, she just talks so straight about bringing issues of racism and sexism to the, to the, to the conversation and how to do that mm-hmm. in ways that, that um, can be listened, heard. And she's had some major influence on changing the complexion of, of the boards that she sits on. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how one one of the board members, male board members, said, well, what difference does it make that the board needs to have diversity? Why would that be important? Because we're, we're, we're all well-intended. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, we want to give money. We want to support. Mm-hmm. She said, because... <laughs> she was like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was because you 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 don't have that lived experience. You don't have a good sense of what it is that people really need, and you frame things from your own limited perspective. And uh, he he was like, oh well, maybe that's the case. So <laughs> let's just stay on. <laughs> They are very recent guests, both yeah. Audrey and uh, Ronnie, the sisters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think they're 98 and 99 or something. They like are that. up there, that's for sure. Right. Well, mm-hmm. it's it's our time just, just goes so fast, Catherine, when we are getting real. <laughs> well, we are excited. I mean, we really are excited about yes, we women's are. issues, for sure, and uh, about the 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 women that who agree to be guests our guests mm-hmm. and share their stories with us and uh, allow us to be able to spread disseminate mm-hmm. um, the word keep and I think I was thinking about you know these our guests and and everybody else who's been recognized this month for Women's History Month as, as we should be recognizing every day of the year have such staying power. That's right. And, you know, and so they have seen the, the advances and the declines and then another advance and another decline. It's not a, it's not just (laughs) um, one win after another. So, and yet, you know, when we ask them, why are you still, why are you still doing this? Because there's so much more to be done. That's right. Sometimes it it feels like we haven't moved at all, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Alas, yes. Sometimes. Yeah. But we have slowly. And as the Constitution, they play uh, what the Constitution meant to me says, we were, we, we have, we, we are still fighting for all the issues that we were fighting for before. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but it just gives me such a thrill to bring these women's voices out into the world and to 
help them be seen and heard. All women need to be seen and heard. And, and these, especially those in our social activism category are making that happen. They're living that. And it's very inspiring. We, we are fortunate that we, you and I are fortunate that we have been asked to speak now for many organizations and to bring these voices to life. And yes. that's an exciting opportunity for women over 70. Yeah, it really is. And um, it's it's organizations that are focused on women, certainly. But more recently, we were, we're also now speaking with organizations that have men and, have men and women members. Mm-hmm. So that is how to. So that's really exciting, too, to bring the voices of women to further enlighten um, yes. the male population. Yes. And of course, always to younger listeners mm-hmm. who right. can be, who can learn from these voices that we present. Right. Yeah. So. Thank you. And you know what? I, I said, I didn't know about the, the play. Of course I know about the play, what the constitution meant to me. Mm-hmm. I have it. It just didn't. Um, I'm sure you do. Of course well, you do. Of course I do. But it, it just didn't click for me in that way. So I, I just don't want to end the show being, you know, t- my ignorance totally exposed. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we'll see you next week for Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.